This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for May 21st, 2023. The title of the message is Saved to Teach, Part 1, Older Men. Well, we, if you would open your Bibles with me to Paul's epistle to Titus, we continue through our evening series. Uh, we begin uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read uh, those first eight verses, and, but I've divided this section into oh, something like five, five messages. So uh, if you would hear now then the reading of God's word. But as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And thus is the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to it this evening. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Paul's final instructions here to Timothy, uh, sorry, to Titus, um, and, uh, and he instructs Timothy, or T- Titus to finish what he had started when he planted the churches in Crete. And in chapter 1, we looked at the qualifications of under-shepherds, elders, uh, teachers of God's word who, who oversee uh, the people of God, the, uh, God's sheep. And then in verse 10 of chapter 1, Paul tells us why there needs to be these under-shepherds, why they need to be sound in doctrine, why they need to be convinced of the faith. Uh, and, and the reason is so that they can correct and push back to rebuke in a, in a gospel-centered way uh, against false teaching, against false teachers with the truth of the gospel. Their teaching, these false teachers, are going to upset the peace and they're going the peace of the church and they're going to divide the church. And so it's important for, for these elders, these under shepherds, to defend the truth uh, in that context. So that false teachers, uh, wolves clothed in sh- in sheep wolves clothed in sheep's uh, clothing uh, won't uh, divide and destroy and eat up. Of the church. And so it's incumbent and it's it's absolutely essential that these under shepherds be sound in doctrine. And then in contrast to then to what these false shepherds and teachers or false teachers uh, uh, will do teaching false doctrine, Paul goes on to contrast false teachers with good teachers who teach good doctrine. 
right? And when these good teachers, including Titus, teach good doctrine, it will lead to good living, good Christian living, sound Christian living. In other words, when you teach healthy Christian doctrine, there are going to be healthy Christian lives, healthy Christian churches. So look at verse 1. He says, now, but as for you, right? See that contrast. He's turning from false teachers to good teachers. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, right? And that idea of accord and being in accord with sound doctrine is, is that idea of being consistent with, being, being in line with sound doctrine and, and that it flows from sound doctrine, um, and that's what these verses here in chapter 2 are all about. Paul is calling Titus and under-shepherds, including uh, myself, that when you teach sound doctrine, there will be a cascade of sound living that flows from it. It'll, it'll, it's like a foundation upon which the Christian church has to be built uh, on and up from uh, with healthy Christian teaching. And he begins then here by showing us what that looks like, right? So if, if, you, if Titus teaches in accord with sound doctrine, then what is that going to look like in the actual lives of, of the people of the church? And it's going to look like this. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 2. Older men. Older men are to be... And then he gives this litany of characteristics. And all of these things are the fruit of sound doctrine in the life of God's people. And I think here he begins with older men because later on we're going to see that it's not just the teachers and the shepherds who do the discipling. It's the whole church. We disciple each other directly, you know, through one-on-one relationships, but also through example that the younger men then look at to the older men and see what a godly life looks like. And here is what the, that godly life ought to look like in accord with sound doctrine. So what does that look like? What, why, why are these particular characteristics being mentioned for older men that accords with sound doctrine? So first, we need to see then the relationship of sound doctrine to sound living, right? My mantra throughout these letters have been uh, sound Christian doctrine, right? That, that word sound here in, that Paul uses is the same word from which we get hygiene, right? Health, that which tends towards health, right? If you want to be healthy, you got to, you know, have good hygiene, right? If you want healthy teeth, you got to brush your teeth. You know, and so if you want health, a healthy Christian living, you got to have healthy Christian doctrine. And, uh, and so the proof of sound doctrine is in the pudding of the Christian life. Um, and so, you know, just thinking about the flip side of it, if we don't teach healthy doctrine, then you won't see a healthy Christian life and you won't have healthy Christian churches. Right. I mean, maybe another way to think about it is um, another way to think about it is, you know, our nutrition. Right. If you have clean water and you have health, you know, good food, then, you know, you're going to tend towards being healthy. Right. You don't eat too much. You don't eat junk food, not too salty, not too too many carbohydrates, not too much of one thing. But a really healthy uh, diet leads to good health. Right. But imagine eating nothing but junk food. 
<laughs> right? It just reminds you of that. Reminds me of that documentary, Supersize Me, where uh, uh, this documentarian eats McDonald's, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, for a whole month. And he had a checkup before he went, before he started this this uh, endeavor, and then he had a checkup during and and after this whole, you know, eating a whole month of all the meals from McDonald's. And at the end, his health was shot. I mean, he gained like 40 pounds. His blood pressure was through the roof. He started having heart disease. I mean, he had the body of someone twice his age. And so, um, so very much like, like that, if you, if you have unhealthy Christian doctrine, you're going to have unhealthy Christian lives. And so Paul is telling us then to teach in accord with sound doctrine that then leads to sound Christian living. And so he um, begins with older men who must be, look, look at what it says there in verse one or verse two, to be sober minded, right? Uh, this is the first time we've heard this. Earlier in chapter one, he used this to describe um, the sober mindedness of deacons. And so older men are to be sober minded. So what does that mean? It means a sober mind, right? Someone who, whose disposition uh, his mind is sober. He's not drunk. He's not inebriated. He's not. Uh, he's not so influenced by, by certain things that it it um, that his mind is not clear. Right. He's not overtaken or drunk by any other teachings or philosophies or ideologies or even social fashions and 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 mores but he is completely sober, fixed upon the truth of God so that he can see everything as it's supposed to be seen, right? Because if you're not sober, what happens? Everything is, everything, your perception is off. That's why you're, if, you're, if, you, if you drink too much and you drive drunk, your car is, you're, you can't perceive what a straight line is and so you're going to swerve. You, your, your reflexes are going to be so off that you're, you're going to hit the brakes a little bit too late and you're going to hit something, you know, uh, and or your, your vision is so blurry that when as soon as somebody walks in front of you or you, you don't see that red light and you're going to run it, you're going to hurt somebody. Right? You're not sober. You don't see things as they ought to be, as they really are. But when you are sober minded, you are sober because you see everything, you perceive everything rightly and truly because of God's word, because of God's truth. Um, and so it means that you're self-controlled and temperate and level-headed. Another thing about being sober-minded is that because you're not drunk and you're, you perceive things in an odd or, or, or inebriated way, so to speak, then you won't blow up with anger and you will not let your passions take you over. Because you see things as they are. You don't overreact. You don't underreact. You're not controlled or governed by your emotions and your passion, but you are controlled and governed by the wisdom and the truth and a desire to love the Lord, to live for him, to do what he wants you to do. And again, this is because when you know the sound truth of God's word, and you know the sovereignty of God in his wisdom and in his power, 
then you know, then you know, you see the world as it, as it is, and you trust the Lord that he will take care of whatever you need taken care of, right? We're, sometimes we're sober-minded because we're not sober-minded, excuse me, because we're not trusting the Lord and we're drunk upon, we're drunk on our own, you know, uh, uh, power to control our, our lives. We're control freaks. And so when things don't go our way, we are going to make sure that things happen the way that we need them to happen. But when we trust the Lord and he's in control, you know, then, you know, if things don't go our way, it's not the end of the world. You know, maybe God is going to work those things out for our good. So we don't, we can be sober about it. We don't have to lose our minds. And so, um, and so if you don't see things clearly, it's because you don't, you're not seeing things through through the gospel. You're not seeing things through the truth of, uh, of, of God and his word. But the gospel is the good news that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords and God is in control. So, you know, if things don't go our way, that's okay. Right? All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? That's, that'll make you sober uh, in any circumstance. Right? You won't lose your mind. You won't lose hope. You won't be anxious. You won't be afraid or get angry. Uh, and so you don't have to... Um, you, you will be so reminded because you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Secondly, older men must also be dignified. Right? This idea is, is a, a dignity that is worthy of respect. Uh, in the character of an older man. He must have a gravitas about him. He has to first, he has to have first and foremost a respect and reverence for God. He has to understand the dignity and the majesty of God. And that is going to so become a part of how he lives and how he thinks how he conducts himself that he will can't help but conduct himself in a dignified way, right? Dignity begets dignity. When you know the dignity of God and you respond in, in light of that dignity, guess what? You are going to have dignity too. And not only will you have dignity for God and his majesty and his glory, but you're going to recognize the dignity that is in other people who are created in his image. You're going to love your enemy, not because they deserve it, but because, because um, they're made in the image of God and that God can show them grace the way that he showed you grace, that while we were yet enemies, you know, Christ died for us. God loved us. To turn the other cheek and to love our enemies because God so loved us as well. Um, and when you see someone who is dignified in such a way, it's because he knows who he is in Christ. He knows who he belongs to, whose child he is. And if you are a child of the king, you are going to carry yourself like a child of the king. I love that hymn. I'm a child of the king. 
You know, it, it, it's, it's important for us to know our inherent dignity, that we are prince and princesses, children of the living God, the Lord and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I wonder, I wonder how, how easily we forget the majesty uh, into which we have been redeemed uh, when we forget those things. You're not going, and when you know that you have been adopted into God's family, you know that he, that he is your heavenly Father. Then, in in many ways, you know, part of the gospel is reminding yourself, like, I'm a child of the King. Like, this is this is behavior unbecoming uh, of God's children, God's sons and daughters, right? Um, and again, it just reminds us uh, of like how important that doctrine of adoption is. Is that uh, many times we live with a orphan mindset, right? This is the this is the emphasis of of uh, of Jack Miller and in, in, in Sonship is that we many times a lot of our problems arise from the fact that we have an orphan mindset. We know in our heads that we are children of God, but we act as if we have no heavenly Father who doesn't take care of us. He doesn't provide for our needs, and so we do what we need to do to take care of ourselves. And that usually leads to sin. But when we know to whom we have been adopted, uh, to, when we know to whom we uh, belong to, then, then we can rest. You know, if we live paycheck to paycheck, you know, we know that, you know, God is going to provide. If we don't know what tomorrow holds, we know who holds tomorrow and we can trust in him. Um, we are children of the king. And so the dignity that the Apostle Paul is describing here is the dignity of prince and princesses of the king of heaven and earth. Um, just just one more one more thought, too, is just, you know, when, when I saw the coronation, well, parts of the coronation, you know, of King Charles III, I mean, on the one hand, I thought, man, those, those uh, you know, those outfits are just, like, way over the top. You know, but at the same time, I thought it was, it, it was, it felt like it was overthought because we're such a non, you know, we're such a, um, an egalitarian democratic culture. But when we see, you know, the majesty and the glory and the beauty of royalty and how they carry themselves, right? Nobody, nobody, the king and, and the royalty, they didn't come hunched with sad faces. I mean, they had a dignity about them because they knew who they were. And that ought to be the same for us as God's people. And, um, and most importantly, we have, we can be dignified as not just older men. Let me just put that out there. Not just older men, but as Christians in general, but I think in particular in terms of, of this application, Paul is using it towards the older men, that they have to be dignified as older men in the church to, to teach what dignity looks like. But the ultimate foundation of this kind of dignity is grounded in the dignity of Christ, that though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And taking on the form of a servant, he laid down his life 
but he did it all he did it all by carrying himself with a dignity that is becoming of only the son of god he was he was falsely accused he was falsely arrested tortured beaten ridiculed mocked he was nailed to a cross um, he was laughed at and spit upon. Um, and he must have carried himself in a, such a regal way. You know, he, he, you know I think it's, it's not just uh, poetic irony, but I think it's, there's a, a real truth to when the, uh, the Roman guards put a purple cape on him, put a crown of thorns, and they bowed to him. You know, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. It was, it was, it was a, a, a true irony because that's exactly who he was. That's exactly what he was. And he, the kind of, can you imagine the dignity he must have carried himself? The dignity and the suffering carrying that cross all the way up Mount Calvary. And the dignity that is becoming of the very Son of God when he breathed his last breath, a dignity recognized by a centurion who must have seen and, and, and known the dignity of, a C, of Caesar, now recognized the dignity of the Son of God and said, when he breathed his last breath, the centurion said, surely this man is, is the Son of God. It is that kind of dignity that we as Christians ought to have that uh, ought to be an example for the rest of the church. Thirdly, he must also be self-controlled, right? And this is similar to being sober-minded. Self-control has the idea of self-discipline, that a person is not enslaved to his or her passions or emotions, that he's not quick to anger or loses control of his emotions. He keeps them in check. He knows what moderation is and keeps from crossing the line not just in his emotions, but with his food, with his drink, with his, with his money, with his relationships, in everything he does in moderation because he, he is controlling his passions. And this arises from the idea that we're sinners, that it's because of our uncontrolled sinful passions that can overtake us and get the better of us and enslave us that, uh, that redemption is being able to to keep it in check, to control it. It doesn't mean that we're going to be uh, fully saved from that kind of um, lack of self-control and discipline, but it means that part of our, our redemption includes a sanctifying progress of becoming less and less angry, becoming more and more disciplined and self-controlled. And at the heart of self-control is the self-discipline of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I think we don't, we don't really make this connection the way that we ought to, but self-control is another way of thinking about self-discipline. And self-discipline arises when we are under someone else's lordship. When, our, when we know that our life is not our own, that we are slaves to the king. And, um, and so when we live under the lordship of Christ, we can discipline ourselves to hold back because we can't do what we want to do. We have to do what God wants us to do. That's why, um, if you remember the, the centurion who, 
who came to Jesus and, and his slave was sick and, and he went to, he went to the Lord and he said, you know, Lord, would you help my, uh, my slave? And, and then Jesus was making his way. And then the centurion said, no, 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 no. You do, you, I don't want you to, I mean, he, he says, you don't, I don't want you to, um, to, uh, do the dishonor to yourself by coming into my home. He says, I am a man of, of, who is under authority. I know what it means to be under authority. You need to only say the word and I know he will be healed. He knows what authority is and that's what self-control implies. You know that you are under someone else's authority and therefore you, you, you constrain your life to, to God's lordship over your life and you don't, you can't, you don't want to do what, only what you want to do. I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to, to, to paint this picture that self-control arises from self-discipline because we belong to the Lord. Uh, and, and at the heart of this is the self-control and discipline of Jesus himself. That his whole life was, was under the lordship of his heavenly father. Jesus said, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Everything he did in his life was not for himself. It was for the glory according to the will of his father. And the only way you can do that is through self-control and self-discipline. And it is that same self-control and discipline in Christ that we receive through union with him. And therefore, as we live under his authority we grow and we can exercise that self-control and discipline. Yeah, so that means we learn to um, not, I guess, eat too much, not to play too hard, uh, to uh, love, um, love things in a healthy, natural, God-given, with God-given boundaries, uh, whether it be in marriage uh, whether it be in all of our relationships and the way that we conduct our lives. Um, and that God is a God of self-control. Right? God never loses control of his anger or of his displeasure. And, uh, and that becomes the foundation for our own self-control. Fourthly, he must also be sound in faith. Again, sound doctrine leads to being sound in life, which includes faith. Think of faith like building a house. Jesus said, a wise man built his house on a solid foundation of a rock, and a foolish man built it on sand. So when the rain and the floods came, the house built on a rock still stood, while the house built on sand was, was washed away. And when we build our faith on the solid foundation of sound Christian doctrine, then our faith will be sound, just as sound. Right? Our faith is only as sound as what we build it on. And so that's, I think that's what, what the Apostle Paul is describing here. To teach sound doctrine means that he will be sound in faith. What he believes, how he believes it, how he lives it out. Um, and, uh, and so, you know... Uh, so it's important to really consider if you're not sound in faith, like right? if you're kind of 
you know, certain parts of your faith, you know, you're not sure of God, you know, you're not assured of God's love for you. Sometimes you feel like he loves you more. Sometimes you, you think he loves you less. Sometimes you think he doesn't love you. Those are all natural to the Christian life, but there's a kind of baseline soundness in which you're saying, you know what? I know God loves me. Just sometimes I don't feel like he does, but I know it. Uh, but sometimes you won't have that soundness in your faith. You know, and and maybe what that means is to go back, kind of extrapolate back to the sound doctrines that you should have learned and learned them better, and then re kind of reestablish your faith on that sound foundation. Um, and then, uh, on the other hand, the older you get, right? He's Paul. The Apostle Paul is talking to older men. The older you get, the more sound your faith will be when you build it on, on sound, the foundation of sound teaching, um, that, that, uh, towards the end of one's life, you know, I think I've mentioned this before when, when, when strong, sound, godly believers are on their deathbed, when I go visit them, when I go to, to comfort them, uh, the funny thing is they comfort me in their death <laughs> and, uh, and I'm all the more humbled and also the more assured in my own faith. Why? Why does that happen? <laughs> because they are more sound in their faith because they've lived in their faith for longer. They've experienced so much more hardships, ups and downs than I ever have. And so they, there's a, that kind of like that, um, that anchored faith that just doesn't move and you can feel it when you're around them. And so that's what, that's what Paul is encouraging Titus uh, to see, to cultivate as he's teaching uh, the churches in Crete. Uh, But again, when you've built your faith and your life on solid truth over the years, your faith, no matter what happens, will stay strong. And that's my encouragement to all of you, you know, to seek to, to have a solid faith grounded in solid teaching. And I love that great hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Fifth. Uh, and these are the last two there, that he must also be sound not only in faith, but in love and in steadfastness, right? Another way to, to, to another word for steadfastness is love in, uh, in patience. And again, I think these go together. And so we have to learn how to love and be patient with those around us if we are sound in faith. Why? Because we know how much God in Christ has loved us. And we know how much he has been patient with us in our faults, in our foibles, and in our sins. The more we know God's love in Christ and for us, the more patient we know that God has been with us in the gospel, the more capacity we will have to love others and to have patience for others the way that God has loved and had patient 
patience for us. And Paul understood this. Paul, Paul, this, Paul even makes his own connection. Paul says uh, that his own patience, right? he, calls, he calls Timothy to patience. And he says, but I received mercy for this reason, looking back to his own conversion and God's grace in him, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What he's saying here is that the patience that God has shown him is the patience that other people ought to see um, in him so that they'll have a taste of God's patience through his patience. And so that's why I think Paul is talking about older men having this patience, older men knowing this love. Uh, because when you see, I, I think there's a, a sense in which it's all nice to, to, to hear these propositional statements of God's love and patience for each and every one of us in the gospel. That's great. But there's something life-changing, something powerful when you see it, when you see it embodied in the life of God's people. When you see sinners loving each other, even when, when we don't deserve it. When we, you see people being patient with, with uh, each other, uh, even though they don't deserve it. Um, and then when that patience pays off, you know, in the light of, you know, trusting in the Lord. And you see, you know, someone like when you see that prodigal child after so many years of living a profligate prodigal life years and years you've prayed and then one day they come back with tears in their eyes I have sinned against God and against heaven uh, Lord can I come back and just see them um, that's the kind of patience that, that people who know the love of God and have lived a long life to see it happen uh, the older men can can embody in their own lives. And so let me close with this last thought. Healthy Christian teaching lays the foundation for how Christians ought to live and what, what that's going to look like. The proof of good teaching is in the pudding where the learning will lead to living. And so if we teach bad doctrine, there will we shouldn't be surprised when there's bad living. But when we teach sound doctrine, it means those who learn it will be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And like any family, the older siblings will model this kind of Christian living for the younger ones. And that's what we're going to see. In, in verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching. And then he goes on. And so let us, older men, I'm speaking particularly to you, uh, to more consciously and intentionally uh, build your life on sound teaching. You, you never, you're never beyond being a disciple. And and uh, and try to exercise and, and manifest these characteristics in your life. 
Uh, and it'll be something similar to bearing the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, peace patience, kindness, goodness. Um, and, and then uh, we can see then what sound doctrine, how it leads to sound living. Uh, and so we can look then to the gospel. Uh, we can see the love of God manifested, the life of Christ exemplified in the very life of his people. And we're going to see that in the coming, well, when I get back in the next sections. But, um, but uh, let's keep those things in mind. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you uh, for teaching us in accord with sound doctrine. Help us, Lord, to then live in accord with that sound doctrine through sound living, through healthy, joyful, humble, dignified, sober-minded, sound Christian living. Lord, we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.